What a beautiful autumn afternoon we have here today at Guaranteed Audio. My name is Kevin James, and I'm joined by my colleagues. Ryan Murphy. And Neil Cisariga. We're podcasting again. This is episode 18. I'm pretty sure that's the right number. You can listen to every episode of this podcast over at guaranteedaudio.com. We're also on iTunes and Google Play and all the other podcast catching backends that sometimes work, sometimes they don't. Um, today's a special episode. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to be covering Neil's newest album, Mouth Dreams, right? That's the name of it? That is, yeah. Okay, good. I got the name right. I listened to it all last night, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. Do we have any other like uh, prelude? Do we want to get right into media current? Do we have anything else we want to talk about? Or... Well, on on the master list here, you have our our birthday present. Oh, that's right, that's right. Both Ryan and Neil have a birthday in August, so you both turned thirty four, right? Correct. I think so. <laughs> it's terrible when you have to think about it, but it happens. It <laughs> you, happens. You don't want to think about it. What uh? What'd you guys do for your birthdays? Did you guys get anything fun? Did you uh, go mini golfing? Like, what'd you guys do? Nothing of the sort. No. <laughs> No, not for 2020. I, I, I got a Keurig. God, that sounds sad when you say it out loud. <laughs> it's like, a, it, it just reminded me of a moment. I'm sure there's a term for it in like German or French or another romantic, not, not that German's a romantic language. There's probably a word for it in another language of like just sitting there like, ooh, I found a good, sh- I found a good pencil sharpener. I can sharpen all the pencils. And you get a few deep and go, the fuck am I doing? Like, why is this? Why am I excited about this? <laughs> yeah. 2020's birthdays were kind of like that. Yeah. I, my birthday was right before all of the pandemic kicking in, uh, back in January. And that's when we did a screening of Ernest goes to jail at the Somerville theater. Um, he's getting away. That might be the only party I really attended this year. <laughs> that might be like the last big social thing we do, assuming the world ends. Um, <laughs> what about you, Neil? Did you do anything for your birthday? Uh, no, really, I didn't. It just wasn't in the cards this year. I don't care. <laughs> well, I tried to hook you both up with a unique birthday present. I got cameo fever. Yeah, Cam- this is not just a plug for Cameo, but this this is a really fun service for a, re- a honestly a reasonable fee depending on level of celebrity. Yeah, some people on I mean, if you don't know what Cameo is, it's one of those platforms where you pay a small sum of money to get like a shout out from a celebrity over video. The the celebrities set their own prices. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Um, I had a word. I was going through it and I was worrying that it was set algorithmically and it was just a machine telling you what you're worth. That's I awful. know that's awful, <laughs> but they have like, you know, they have like notable celebrities, like, like a, a few pretty funny oddball picks. Like there's uh the soup Nazi from Seinfeld is on there. Uh, Lindsay Lohan. Um, there's also just a guy called Jesus Christ, which makes me happy. And he's just some YouTuber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sort of, it's like a cross between, uh, meeting a celebrity at a convention yep. and right. like birth, birthday entertainers. It's, yeah, yeah. It's somewhere in between that. Hey, I got a guy that looks like Robert De Niro for your birthday party. Ro- Why? Oh, Robert De Niro guy. I keep seeing him. He on is the on there. He is on there. <laughs> His last name is De Niro guy. It's nice. So, uh, Ryan, I hooked you up with a cameo. Uh, who did you get a cameo from? Ernie Hudson. Speaking of Congo. Um, and yeah, he was awesome about it. Uh, you only get like, it's like 200 something characters to write your message to the celebrity. And they said, yeah, my buddy Ryan, it's his birthday. He'd like a shout out. 
Uh, you don't feel compelled to ham up the Ghostbusters stuff. Uh, he just like you know he he asked in the, his questionnaire what Ryan did for work and all that stuff. Uh, and you know it was a fun idea. I had a little bit of like buyer's remorse right after I bought it, purely because I thought, oh, is this really gonna like hit Ryan the way I want it to? And then when Ernie Hudson's recording came in, uh, it, like the second, like the right out of the gate in the video, he says, Ryan Murphy. And it just <laughs> sent like a cold chill down my spine in a good way. <laughs> like, okay, cool. We now have Ernie Hudson wishing Ryan a uh, very, uh, what's the word? I don't know. What'd you, what'd you think of it? Honestly. like I loved it. Yeah. Uh, n- number one, uh, he hit every mark. Number two, you put it up on August 14th, the day before my birthday, the 15th, because Facebook is a bad social media when it comes to birthdays. <laughs> it identifies people. It, it lets you know when birthdays are coming, even if you're not actively uh, looking for them or yeah. aware of them, because it gets participation from people who otherwise aren't looking at ads. I mean, using the- Using f- Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, no, seriously, the, the, it, I would like a, a trend in the future of if you have good stuff- um, put it up a day before or a day after because it will just get flooded. I thought it was going to get buried, so I put yeah, it on your buried. Facebook wall the day before just because I wanted you to see it. But no, it was like it was like gen- he was pr- very genuine. Um, I love that he said your name like multiple times. Like you can tell he knows like what's going to get a rise out of people. <laughs> um, he was very dutiful about it, and it was a very earnest, sincere one. Uh, and then Neil, uh, your birthday was what two weeks later. Something like that, yeah. And uh, you got me, yeah. <laughs> you got me a great woman, but you really telegraphed it. You were talking for months about getting a, a um, Billy West to do something. Yeah, and, and you did it. And I, you, I was actually surprised. I was like, "Oh, oh, you did it. That's really great." <laughs> now, for the ladies and gentlemen at home who might not be as familiar with Mr. West's work as we are, Kevin, could you give him a little TM up? Who is Billy West? Oh, who isn't Billy West? If you watched cartoons in the 90s through the aughts, odds are you've heard a lot of Billy West. I, I'd say his most noteworthy role was Fry from Futurama. Um, and I, I don't know. I feel like that's the most like Billy West on display show there is. Uh, he also For did a certain Stimpy. generation, yeah. yeah Stimpy did, and then later Ren. Yep. Uh, he uh, did a bunch of voices on Doug. Um, a, a ton of cartoons. Like, I, like you you could spend like 10 minutes reading through his IMDb alone. Um, but the reason I hooked up with him on cameo was he was the voice of Roger Klotz, the bully from Doug. Uh, cause for literally a year, I had been talking to you two guys about how funny it would be to get an audio recording of Roger Klotz telling someone to go suck a dead dog's ass. <laughs> that was it. That was literally the, the entire beginning, middle and end of the idea. And I did. I had a. I went from having Ernie Hudson wish Ryan a very genuine birthday to suck a dead dog's ass. Funny. <laughs> it, it was so like when I filled out the thing with uh, with uh, Billy West. Uh, you know, I you know I I only had two hundred fifty characters, so I I was like, listen, he would have a good laugh at this. This you know, if don't, you don't have to do this if you don't want. <laughs> but he would love it if Roger called him a loser and told him to suck a dead dog's ass, and he did it, and. Um, but I, I spelled out your name phonetically, Neil, because mm-hmm. I was hoping that he would, as Roger Klotz, call you Sissy Riga. Um, but that we that he he missed that. But honestly, considering how brief the text was, how brief the instruction was, he basically nailed it. <laughs> like he, like Sissy Riga might have been too much for me. I may have actually felt hurt. <laughs> 
But like I, I, you told me that after you got it, like I'm. Oh, I'm surprised I didn't see this coming. <laughs> you have brought it up a lot, Kevin. Uh, you know, and the video is really funny because I think with a lot of these cameos, they're clearly reading it. They're just using their phone as the recording device, and I think it has the prompt right there on the screen. Yeah. So it's almost like a teleprompter. Yeah. <laughs> And he's cracking up the, the, the whole video. <laughs> yeah. Just learning what he's gotten into. He's like, Probably like his hundredth video that day or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just glad that he was, he, he didn't write you back, Kevin, to go, I'm not saying that. I was, it, took him, it took him like five days. And Ernie Hudson got back to me like the next day. So at, at, by the third day, I was texting my, my, our mutual friend, Dan Hamilton. Like, I'm pretty sure he's just not going to do this. <laughs> Like, I'm saying, like, does is there a contract where anything you do in the Roger Klotz voice you could lose residuals or uh, some ridiculous like a uh, morality clause? <laughs> well, like, what they do is when you when you want a cameo, they hold your credit card for the amount of money it's worth. Like, say it was a hundred bucks, the hundred dollars gets held for one week, and if the celebrity does not do it, the money gets released back to your card. Um, but if they do do it, it goes through, right? Yeah, they don't hold them to like a nine to five clock. Yeah. So like, yeah, if they get to you, great. And yeah, it's, it, it's not hard work for them. Yeah. You know, the, it's a matter of shame. It's like, <clears throat> I'm willing to do this for money yeah. and to go, fuck it. Yeah. It's no different than Comic-Con. And especially now in the days of the pandemic and COVID, I can do this. Ernie Hudson could record 60 of those an hour. He could do one a minute and like make so many people's day. It really, it really, yeah, it didn't feel it. Ernie Hudson's in particular really, uh, was wonderful to hear and see. And, um, it's also the kind of thing that like our families all like got a big laugh out of. I saw your dad run yeah. a couple weeks ago and your dad immediately brought it up. Like, how cool is that? Um, there's like competing cameo platforms now. And the ones I've seen, they're all kind of like a gamble. Like have any of you, have either of you heard of them? No, um, there's like one that's like, I'm not, I'm not going to Google it cause I don't want to remember the name of it, but there's one that has Christopher Lloyd on it. And, their whole hook is that it's cheaper than cameo, but it's like a raffle system. So it's like, Hey Ryan, why don't you put in five bucks? You might get to hear from Christopher Lloyd. Like, mm. or you can pay some crazy fee to actually to get a guaranteed like video call from him or whatever. But that's gonna be like hundreds of dollars. Whereas like this system is like, yeah, there's like a spread on cameo of how much, how expensive it could be. But for the most part, you're looking at like, 40 to a hundred bucks. Well, you just described, I can see being popular with like college kids calling it like who would have a decade or two ago called into a radio station. Like, yeah. Ooh, maybe we'll get, you know, if we're going to like keep calling and like, we just have too much time on our hands. Yeah. Well, everyone does right now, which is why yeah. cameo seems to be blo- like doing very well. <laughs> um, okay. I think that's enough yeah. about cameo, right? Again, they're well, not paying on. us. Were you trying to get Christopher Lloyd to say suck a dead dog's ass? Is no, okay. <laughs> no, Marty, <laughs> Marty, you gotta listen to me. Now we're just doing Doc and Maddie. Don't Google it. Um, all right, let's move on to Media Current. Media Current is our first real segment every episode of our podcast where we go over media we've been consuming, whether that's movies, music, video games, or even books. We never read books. It's Neil, never a book. what have you? <laughs> I love having a sound effects board. <laughs> Neil, what have you been consuming lately? Uh, 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 nothing. I always, I feel like the last two or three times we've done this, I've felt a huge amount of, um, like show and tell anxiety when we do this segment. <laughs> I've been spent, you've been spending the pandemic just looking at a wall. 
Uh, I mean, I've been parenting and yeah, yeah, and all that. But um, yeah, just I, I haven't been been on big on a lot of TV shows. But the last few days, I have found myself firing up Chips Challenge Two on my computer and uh, playing a couple levels of that. It's um, it's a early '90s, mostly known for um, it was like one of the um, the, like the sort of like stock Windows games a lot of computers had. Uh, it came with like the Microsoft Entertainment Pack, but it's been released on a bunch of platforms. The original Chips Challenge. Chips Challenge 2 was a sequel uh, that was in production, and then uh, it just never came out. It was supposed to come out in like the mid-90s or around then, and there was some sort of um, rights dispute that just was never resolved. Hmm. And uh, I think uh, like about four or five years ago, the creator of Chips Challenge was able to get the rights back and release this uh, the sequel that is largely unchanged from its mid '90s design aesthetic. What does it look like? Like, what is Chips it, Challenge it, Two? Uh, it looks like you're playing as like 16-bit Windows icons. It's like that level of graphics. It's a grid-based uh, puzzle game. Um, it's an evolution of uh, the kind of like moving blocks around to, you know, unlock a you know a pathway kind of thing. But it has a lot more co- you know com- complex rules and monsters that follow certain logic it looks kind of like minesweeper mixed with a maze or you know what it actually looks like it looks like mikey's thing from nick arcade (laughs) it does a little bit yes so and it comes with a level editor so it's like totally that kind of game where it's almost like building puzzles out of legos i guess it's it's proto minecraft in a way um just like the encouragement and like building block quality to it. I, I, I admire it as a as a puzzle game. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of all I've been doing the last couple of days in terms of media. Unless uh, does McDonald's count as media? <laughs> in a way, in a way. Yeah, well, go arguably. for it. Did you get a yeah. Happy Meal? I got an unemotional meal. <laughs> <laughs> and my other media current is the first 10 minutes of Coneheads on 2B TV. And I turned it off because it's hideous. <laughs> Even with Michael McKeon, you couldn't get through it. Uh, I didn't. I didn't get to any Michael McKeon. I got to Sinbad. Oh, he's but, like a taxi driver, right? I don't know. He's like the manager yeah. of the taxi company that really likes Mister Conehead. I haven't seen Akron. it since I was a kid. I. It's such a. I, at least the first ten minutes are such a. Dan Aykroyd vehicle. It's really focusing on Dan Aykroyd doing his thing, saying his lines. And then every once in a while, there's a scary special effect where he like eats toilet paper or something. Yeah. Are, things like imagery like that. Remind, first of all, thank you, Neil, for saving me the time of does that film hold up? Sounds like a no <laughs> from your first 10 minutes. But I have fond memories of it. And mm-hmm. does it have kind of an Adam's Family vibe? I'm trying to think of it. This is nothing like other oh films God. that have spun off from SNL skits. Jesus, it it is to- a Saturday Night Live skit, but it's it's so not in the wheelhouse of like superstar, you know. It came out of the same summer as Jurassic Park. It feels so much <laughs> older than Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh, it's too bad. Yeah. And that's Jane Curtin. She's really funny. Uh, but again, they're doing the Coneheads. This is a one-dimensional character. Yeah. Jane Curtin, yeah, she's literally like in the background out of focus in a lot of shots in the first 10 minutes. I found it very weird how, hey, look, it's Dan Aykroyd. He's doing the Coneheads and not her. Uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times says that the movie has its dopey charms and that it's suitable for people who found Wayne's World too demanding. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sorry, you said for people who found Wayne's World too, too demanding. demanding. <laughs> no, actually, speaking of Wayne's World, I did watch uh, Stay Tuned from 1992. Oh my God, I watched five minutes of that last night on Amazon. Uh, give that movie a shot. It's got its problems, but it, it's, it's, I really like the, the, uh, the vintage of the special effects. Hold up, movie. help me, help me out. Stay tuned. It's got, it's about the devil selling someone a satellite oh, TV system. It's John and Ritter. It's, John Ritter's the lead, and the devil is the 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 father from Beetlejuice, and the unfortunately ma- er, Jeffrey. Jo- yeah. Yes. Ugh. Ugh. Well, he he plays the devil anyway. <laughs> yeah. But like, how did it hold up? You watched the whole thing. Uh, yeah. The it's the um, it hinges a lot on bad TV parodies, like sub Mad Magazine level, like change one word in the title jokes. Yeah. Um, Wayne's but, World is like Wayne's Underworld. Yeah, yeah, it's you can't parody like comedy. That. You can't do that. Like it doesn't work. It's like, oh look, it's Wayne's World, but funny. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, <laughs> but the the actual like the performances from the actors and like the vibe of the movie is all kind of is all pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I don't I, know. It's, I remember uh, the animated segment being really well done. Yes, there's an an. It's the kind of movie where like one scene is just a cartoon for some reason because there's no rules. It doesn't matter. It's just a bunch of. It's skits. It's a together. Tom and Jerry parody, but it's done like the beginning of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like, no, no, no. We want to make it very clear. Spend we really, yeah, exactly. I think um, uh, Chuck Jones or one of those guys. I think it was Chuck Jones, like supervised it or something. It's, does, it's really cool. Does the movie work as like a Halloween movie? Because the devil's yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's definitely it's it's a uh, early '90s aggressive, scary for kids kind of yeah humor. I'll take a whack at it again. All right. <laughs> Go I for have it. really vague memories. All right, cool. A, a ringing endorsement from Neil Ciceriga. Stay tuned. <laughs> I wouldn't say ringing, but uh, a ringing endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what was your media <laughs> Well, first of all, Neil, thank you for kind of teeing me up there with uh, the Minecraft. I, the Minecraft type game. Uh, I have two, so I'll be quick. Uh, quick like a bunny. I have an adult one and another one. I recently watched for the first time The Way We Were from 1973, starring Robert Redford and Barbara Streisand, mm-hmm. directed by Sidney Pollack. Uh, it's it's absolutely a proto, and it's it's a problematic term, it's in gender, but I'll just call them like you see them. It's a chick flick. Uh, it's got that famous song, Memories. Oh, yeah. Robert, uh, that's a big Barbara Streisand song. Well, she's in the movie, of course. Yep. Uh, it's, it's good. It's about Barbara Streisand, uh, and her nerd friend, uh, James Woods, before we knew he was a piece of shit, uh, are in college and they're straight up communists. Mm. Then World War II happens. Uh, Robert Redford, uh, never actually goes overseas based on what we see in the film. Uh, but he's in the Navy and they're both writers. He's more of the waspy, cool, all-star football guy, and she has curly hair and glasses, so she can't be pretty. And <laughs> World War II happens, and it's, it ties into how they fall in love, how they reconnect after college, how their political leanings with her being a communist and him going off in the war. She stays a communist, but more moderate. She becomes an FDR socialist. Hmm. And then after the war, he becomes a more successful writer. They move to Hollywood, where they deal with McCarthyism. Uh, Hmm. And again, for a movie that is a chick flick, uh, again, a problematic term. I'm just going to use it because I don't got a better one. Uh, It's well acted. It's well done. The song is corny, but yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. It was so Sounds kind of like 
Sorry, bad joke. It sounds kind of like Forrest Gump. <laughs> it's it's better than Forrest Gump. Okay, it's def- okay. yeah. I have I've uh, I've only seen a few Robert Redford movies, but he's usually pretty damn good. He's earned his reputation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he does a really good job here. So so it's weird because this movie was made in the seventies, and it's so hard for my brain to wrap around period pieces made in like the sixties or seventies. I'm like, oh, yeah, because it's, 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 I obviously they were made. I've seen period pieces made from the sixties and seventies, but when you think, oh, this was made in the early seventies and it's got Robert Redford and Barbara Streisand, it's hard for me to imagine it being anything but set in the seventies. Like the lens yeah. of the seventies is so thick to me. The film stock, the way they, the Their lighting. Fashion, yeah. Um, and they, they, that's the thing they try to like, Oh, look at that. It's the 1940s. Like our parents dressed, but it's, <laughs> But I agree for a film set in the thirties. And again, there's complications here with, Oh look, we're in college. I wore glasses. Then it's the forties. We're young adults. Then it's the fifties. We're going to get married or not and have children or not. And Robert, Robert Redford. I, we brought this up on the show before, but Robert Redford did that real bad in the natural where he's supposed to be like 17 in one scene. Yeah. And like, they just film it at night. <laughs> like yeah. I'm going to strike off Babe Ruth, but don't look too close. Yeah. Don't look that close. Let's just put a bunch of lights behind his head. So you can't see his face. Like, no, no, no. I'm a teenager. It's like, dude, you're 50. Just get an actor who looks like Brad or him. Oh, yeah. I just said it. I just said the quiet part out loud. Get yeah. Brad fucking Pitt. Yeah. Get Brad Pitt, especially back when they made the natural in the yeah. mid eighties. Right. Um, but the way we were, was it like really sad? Like it looks sad as hell. Not as sad as you'd think. Yeah. The song is sappy. I could see it for what it is, which is a well-acted, well-directed, well-made movie. It, it sounds smart. Yeah. It's like, pretty, it does, it's like, like, yeah. Put like a broad label I will on say it. the title alone feels very on the nose. It's like, hey, have you heard about this thing called nostalgia? <laughs> yeah, the, the film isn't called- Remember the way we were? You know? <laughs> remember how well our marriage worked? Like, no, that's not the title of the movie. There's a, a Simpsons episode called The Way We Was. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Which is that's uh that's when Homer and Marge's high school relationship is developed. Is uh, already zip actually, in that. I just watched the one where um uh I think it was Lisa's first words. That's and a, that's a great episode. Yeah, I, I love the joke where like it's nineteen eighty three, but it's like they're in like the thirties uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, like a nineteen thirties like ethnic neighborhood where everyone's just like talking with these thick Italian accents about Pac-Man and stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. The kids go, "Hey, you guys want to go play some stickball?" And then they run off sca- uh, camera, and you think they're going to play baseball, but they're yeah. just playing a game called stickball <laughs> in an arcade. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, that sounds interesting. Uh, the way we were, maybe I'll have to check it out. I'll add it to my list of must-watch like we, movies. As we discussed birthdays in our first segment, and I got Ernie Hudson. And Neil got Billy West. I'm 34. I'm a 34 year old man watching intelligent movies directed by Sidney Pollock, and I'm replaying some Minecraft. <laughs> Minecraft is huge, man. It's it. I feel like Minecraft got bigger. Oh, it's. I, I will say from a, a perspective that perhaps someone under 30 would neither take into consideration nor find a way to measure or quantify. I have taken my own blood pressure before and after playing Minecraft. Minecraft is meditative for me. Minecraft lowers my blood pressure. I've measured it. That's something a child should never have to do, but <laughs> it's it's unlikely without like serious underlying medical complications. Uh, I breathe slower. I'm more focused. I love this game. And the newest major patch, June 23rd, they uploaded, uh, they added a big... Um, patch, a big update. Yeah. And it's all about my, one of my favorite parts of the game, the nether. 
Now, I'm also talking to two grown men in their 30s. So without getting too far down the, the nerd rabbit hole, are you both familiar with the nether? Yeah, that's like the end game of it, right? Like that's Sword. Like the, it's there, like an alternate evil dimension. There's the end where the end dragon is and endermen come from. That's the end of the game. And the nether is like their version of hell. Yeah. It's dangerous. The music is not comfortable. Uh, I read a really good piece years ago. I'd cite my source if I remembered it about how like this is kind of like teaching young children who don't have the vocabulary of uh, depression. Of like the way like when children are anxious, they don't say, I have a lot of anxiety. Uh, unless they're getting a lot of billable hours from a therapist, they say, my stomach hurts. Because they don't know, they don't have the, the language. Because they're children. Uh, the nether is a really good teaching tool. And the, the thing I've always liked about the nether is that there's stuff there you can't make or can't build. You have to go through the, the nether, the stargate. And it's always kind of dangerous. It's always a mission. And sometimes you barely get back off the skin of your teeth. Did you see they added um, VR support to Minecraft to, yes. on PlayStation? Did, did, yeah, they, I, that's something that I haven't cracked open my VR headset in a few months, and I really should. But maybe I should fire that up because I bet that would feel special. <laughs> and and as, although the, the current updates are, uh, they're still a little clunky. They're still doing patches to update it because you know there's some lag stuff and, uh, oh, but they update really quickly. Yeah. Well, that whole game is like, like one of the strongest candidates for uh, exemplifying games as a service like minecraft you look at it on first blush and you're like this is so simple but it's just like a toy that they can keep adding to you know they want kids to keep coming back or they want they know that they could keep this 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 truly is the new lego it's it's yep. always going to be some kids first time with minecraft every day right um but the, yeah, VR, the i'm VR, pretty amazed with the the staying power of minecraft yeah it's been like big for i mean over a decade now Right, like it really is like a like it's not a fad. It has outlived like three console generations. I have so I've never played it, but I'm gonna have to at least fire it up once uh, pretty soon because I'm doing a like a sort of virtual DJ set as part of a, a festival next month in uh, October. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so yeah, keep an eye on my my Twitter page for that. But I'm I'm gonna be playing with a bunch of other uh, people in this festival. Not really playing them in Minecraft. Playing. In Minecraft, I, I don't really understand how it's going to work, but I'm going to feel real old. You used to be like <laughs> you used to be the biggest proponent I knew of Second Life way back when. And I imagine it's going to be. I actually, yeah, I used to not DJ, but well, yeah, I used to DJ um, like radio shows on Second Life, and um, yeah, it was basically just streaming audio out using the uh, like the microphone service or whatever, and uh, it was pretty fun and goofy to uh, listen to a you know a broadcast that way. <laughs> Cool, cool. All right. Uh, so I guess I'm last on Media Current. I recently watched a documentary about Rick Mayle, who is this British comedian. Uh, the documentary was called Lord of Misrule, put out by the BBC. It's available for free on YouTube. It was pirated. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Rick Mayle, this is one of those things that our audience in Europe, particularly in London and Britain, they're going to be like, yeah, Rick Mile, they all know him. He was huge, I guess, in Britain for uh, throughout all of the 90s. Uh, mm -hmm. But the only thing in America he ever did that really took off was Drop Dead Fred. Drop Dead Fred. And, and, yes. if, that, and if that's your high watermark in the American market, that means a lot of people probably don't know who the hell he is, right? Um, but he passed away a few years ago. He was uh, jogging and had a heart attack, which is a shame. He was in his mid-50s. Uh, but watching this documentary, 
um, it, it was just basically an overview of his career. Um, and I was surprised how many of his projects I had heard of, but not watched. So I kind of fell down a Rick mile rabbit hole, uh, the last two weeks, um, starting with a feature film he acted in called guest house Paradiso. Um, have either of you guys heard of bottom, the British show bottom? Not until you introduced me to it. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. Have either of you heard of the young ones? No. Yes. So the young ones is apparently like this beloved show from the eighties. Um, that's kind of like a precursor to things like, um, spaced. You've heard of space, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's Simon Pegg's sure, b- yeah. before he, young ones. I, I see like gifts of it a lot. It's, it's, I've, I've only watched a few clips from the young ones, but it's, it's super funny, like super funny. And it's the kind of humor that, um, th- this applies more to bottom and guest house Paradiso. So for the uninitiated bottom was a, uh, like an odd couple type sitcom where these two losers in their thirties live in a flat and um, it's kind of, it's pretty vile. I'm not going to mince words. Like there's like a laugh track and a studio audience uh, like a sound that gets pumped into it, but it's, it's more Ren and Stimpy than odd couple. Uh, you have these two grown men that are constantly broke, trying to get laid, trying to get drunk and they drink things like hairspray and, li- and like, <laughs> because they're so destitute and broke. Like the first episode is literally them going to a sex shop and buying um, this like deodorant that's supposed to get you laid. And then they go to a bar for 10 minutes of the episode, spraying it on themselves and trying to hit on women and then getting the shit beaten out of them. Like that's like their running gag on that show. Bottom <laughs> is the physical humor. Uh, and it's so extreme. It's so extreme. It's like... Some episodes of this sitcom bottom will just devolve into five minutes of the two of them just beating the crap out of each other. I mean, like throwing each other through brick walls, like hitting each other over the head with frying pans repeatedly. Um, and I just had never seen anything like it outside of Sam Raimi movies, right? Hmm. Just like like the human body taking this crazy amount of punishment. And my, my sister and I were watching it and losing our minds laughing. It's very lowbrow. Um <laughs> But I, it made me realize, we've talked about this before, that um, mainstream comedy uh, it has kind of been folded into other genres of entertainment, you know? Like, cause it, you know what I'm getting at? Like, it's very rare nowadays to be like, oh, here's a comedy movie everyone's going to go see, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah, it's now Thor is funny. It's, yeah. or, or Jumanji. Yeah. That's, that's considered a comedy film, I guess, right? I mean, it's funny, but yeah. it's it's just you know what I'm getting at, or like Goosebumps. Yeah, it's is like a comedy yeah. movie, like, but it's also like, would you call Hocus Pocus a comedy movie on first blush? Like, no, it's like a like a kids horror movie or a Halloween movie. But Goosebumps is like, no, that's a, that's like a comedy because Jack Black yeah. is like literally front. And f- I mean, I'm, I'm maybe I'm not pulling the best examples, but I feel no, like but I, I know yeah. what you mean. Like family movies and tentpole movies are like a little bit more comedy centric now, and there are just fewer pure comedy movies than there were in the nineties. Yeah. And going back to, uh, he's like this British superstar, Rick mile. And, and to be fair with bottom and guest house Paradiso, he's part of a comedy, a comedy duel with a comedy duo with Adrian Edmondson, who actually directed guest house Paradiso guest house Paradiso is basically the movie adaptation of the show bottom. Um, they both play characters, the same, the characters they play in the movie, have the same first names as the characters from the show, 
but different last names. <laughs> so the- <laughs> just so they can make different jokes about their names. <laughs> All right. They dress the same. They talk the same. They act the same. <laughs> but uh, uh, made me laugh really hard. Uh, that movie, Guest House Paradiso, really is. Um, it's like if a Three Stooges skit was made by Sam Raimi. I, that's like the quick elevator pitch. Definitely not for everybody. Um, there are certain jokes in it that will probably leave a bad taste in people's mouths, but um, I was losing it. Like I just, I haven't seen people ham it up like this in a comedy movie in so long. I've just needed like belly laugh humor for obvious reasons this year. Uh, and I don't know if, if you think you could stomach like evil dead, Two or Army of Darkness, uh, Army of Darkness level humor dialed up even further. I think you could watch uh, Grand, uh, sorry, Guest House Paradiso. I also love how classy that name is. Yeah, <laughs> Guest House Paradiso. There's a scene where a pencil goes up a guy's asshole. Like it's that kind of movie. Like it's- so yeah. All right. So having not seen it, it sounds like it's fair to say it's a '90s extreme take on classic like physical comedy, right? Yeah. Yeah, this movie Laura, came out Laura the same year as The Matrix, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So these guys love, like, yeah, Lauren Hardy, Buster Keaton. Yes. Uh, oh, and, absolutely. And they can do the, like, oh, this is what they would have done if they had the technology we have. There's a scene in the movie where someone is asleep in their room, and they have a a, a, a videotape, a, a videotape that has, like, precious evidence on it. So the two hotel guys, Rich, Rich and Eddie, diehard style, sneak through an air vent, Right so they can get above the bed and then use a fishing lure to get the tape out of the room. Right. It's like something out of fucking mm-hmm. mouse hunt. Right. It's, it's, so- I was going to bring up mouse hunt. Cause I, I kind of want to rewatch that movie with you guys sometime. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but yes, Rick mile, uh, Lord of misrule. I highly recommend the documentary, um, just to learn a bit about him. And if uh, you think his style of humor looks palpable, check out guest house Paradiso. Yeah. I, I knowing very little about him, but I always think of, um, uh, the first Harry Potter movie, I was going to bring gonna this up. Be in yeah. as Peeves the Poltergeist and they filmed stuff for it. Yeah. And it's never been seen ever, ever. I wonder what the deal is. Cause he, he is beloved over in Europe. Like he did yeah. like ads for Nintendo for years and stuff. So I'm surprised that, I mean, he passed away in 2014, I want to say. So I don't know what happened. Maybe like they filmed him for Peeves the Poltergeist. And then someone at Warner brothers said, you know, this is the guy from bottom, right? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> like, you know, have you looked at his like his credentials? Like if kids really like peeves, they're gonna find like I mean, there's a lot of masturbation jokes on bottom. Like a lot of them. Like it's like the opening scene, I think, of the first episode. All right, and moving on. It'll be real great. We have new projects, guaranteed videos, star we filmed the skit. <laughs> we filmed a uh, very long uh, sketch called I only try and get this without stuttering the amazingly aerodynamic unleaded and quadro cylindrical fly car, which should be about a five, six minute skit. And it's predominantly on green screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, there's gonna be a second title for it, but we don't want to give it away. Correct. Better. Yeah. So we, we sort of, we, we sort of temporarily potted up to shoot this, uh, uh, a few weeks ago and, uh, it was just a day's work. Yeah. It looks nice. It's just, it's very special effects heavy and I don't mm-hmm. want to say too much about it, but you can probably, you can probably surmise it's about a flying car. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. Neil and I are in it. Kevin yeah. shot it and huge help between shooting and lighting to our man, Corey Tilton. Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, we're hoping to get that out before Halloween. 
Um, but uh, also in the meantime, I worked on a music video for our friend Corey. Uh, Corey Tilton has a, uh, a music act he has called You Bred Raptors, and he's working on his uh, his EP right now. I mean, EP's not even fair. It's got like, he has like 28 songs or something for it. And he and I got together and made a music video for it called From the Streets to the Gardens. It's not publicly available yet, but it's done. And if you're a patron for a guaranteed video, you can watch it now because we're looking to get feedback on it. Um, long song. It's like his Purple Rain. It's like, a, it's a synth song. It's like seven minutes. Um, but yeah, that should be out sometime in October for the public. You bred Raptors from the Streets to the Gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks cool as hell. I'll say that. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a lot of smoke machines and <laughs> lasers and it's 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 old school. But I think the reason a lot of people are going to come to this podcast, you know, uh, I think it's safe to say that most people that listen to Guaranteed Audio are fans of your mashup music, Neil. I hope so. I mean, for those who don't know, Neil's a musician. You do um, 100% original ground up music, but you also do mashups. And is this the third Mouth album or the fourth? The fourth. Um, originally I was, uh, after making the third one, I kind of threw my hands up and said like, I can't possibly make another one of these. It's a nice round trilogy. That's great. But over the last, uh, 2017, I think is when the the last album came out. I've just kind of slowly been accumulating new mashups and I haven't released any of them. So, uh, there's a whole album's worth now. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, should we assume people who are listening to this have heard the album? Or no. Uh, yeah, listen to the album before you listen to this podcast. I Oh, good. That actually makes my questions. Uh, I don't have to edit them myself. <laughs> I don't have to self-censor when it comes to... Yeah, because Neil, I, I, I assumed of our conversation via text before this recording, you recorded the album. You did the editing and producing. Kevin and I want to pick your brain about it. Like, give the audience a little insight into some of the decisions you made and how we got to where we are. Go for it. So... Uh, I'll ask a softball, like some of my questions, I guess you'd call them spoilers, but they're all for like the first three songs. I'll try to keep it to that. Okay. Um, is it cheating to ask you why you opened the album with Yahoo? Uh, is that the name of the uh, song? Is that the name of the track? I think it's, yeah, I think it's just called Yahoo. I haven't finalized the, uh, the titles uh, as of this recording, but, um, it's Yahoo or Ode to Yahoo or something like that. Yeah. But uh, I think, no, I mean, I, I just picked that because traditionally I open these albums with a song that is uh, kind of stoic sounding for mm-hmm. some reason. I, I like to open a really silly album with um, something that has some weird underlying beauty to it. And uh, Yahoo was almost, I think, made with that in mind while I was making it. I was thought like, oh, well, why don't I just remix and stretch the the Yahoo yodel mm-hmm. from the commercials uh, and just try and make it actually kind of pretty. Cause that guy holds the note out in a nice way. And uh, I can, <laughs> I can, uh, <laughs> I can go uh, hog wild with that. Do you, um, yeah, I, I, I thought when I was listening to it, like, Oh, this is a bit of a flex. Like he's like, let me show you what I can do with one sample. Uh, and I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that gravity definitely anchors the album in a way that's like, Hey, listen up. <laughs> Like I, I, I like, like, like you're about to get a mashup album. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. tell you what, to piggyback on Kevin's question, the album opens, it's a two parter. The album opens with the Yahoo, you know, sound, which we know from the Yahoo search engine from the old nineties imagery. Cause we, they don't really market with that sound bite anymore. They haven't for a long time. 
And it ends with, the album ends with, uh, the sound of a dial modem. Number one, was that a conscious decision to have those two 90s internet imagery, it, in your mind, imagery? Uh, and number two, is the album sort of a palindrome? Does it bleed into itself? Could it cycle through itself over and over again? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I did that on purpose because I... I just wanted like some little button on the end of the album and I figured why not? Uh, yeah. Why not something that kind of, uh, invites you to listen again, basically. Mm. Diamond shaped. Yeah. And there's actually a secondary reason for it, which I don't necessarily want to spoil. Uh, but it has to do with, uh, something on the cover of the album. Okay, cool. So, uh, one of the early tracks is a mashup between Queen and the SpongeBob SquarePants that I will be using for my job. I can assure you. <laughs> so uh, the, the first when I when hearing it, I, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but this has got to be like such a fundamental thing with what you do. Did you have the SpongeBob vocals isolated somehow? Like, with, did you find them in a way that was just the singing? Yeah, yeah. Someone just had them uploaded i'm not sure where it came from i don't think they're um i don't think it's a uh, editing job i think someone actually had a uh, access to the masters yeah uh but i don't really know the provenance of those uh, <laughs> uh but it, it is it is you know the audio that is used in the the steps. main titles for spongebob yeah and i wanted to have that track early because uh it's just like a clear like this is what the kind of humor of the album's gonna be it's a ramp but also too. yeah but also because SpongeBob is such a intergenerational thing at this point. Yeah, I, exactly. I recently, I recently watched the newest SpongeBob movie, mm-hmm. um, like about a month or two ago, and it hit me while watching it. Like it's it's the one with Antonio Banderas. Have you guys seen that one? I've only seen the first, but I've been Same. told all three are solid. I I, I haven't three. Wa- okay, go on. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of SpongeBob. Period. I've only seen a yeah. little bit of the the first few seasons, and I've watched two of the movies. But um, yeah, it made me think that like, wow, SpongeBob's still going strong. Like he has like that, uh, like uh, Daffy Duck Bugs Bunny quality to him. My concern with the mouth albums is always I'm uh, getting older and a lot of my reference points are specific to things that happened uh, when I was younger, you know, in in pop culture and songs even older than that, that, uh, you know, I I heard on oldies stations and and stuff like that. So there's just going to be a less and less modern pop culture making way into my albums as, you know, as it goes from the the first to the the fourth one. Um, So I was just like, I just want to make sure that there's something that people under 30 like in the, in the first, you know, couple tracks. Yeah. Cause I I totally feel you on like, Oh, am I anchoring myself too much as a child of the eighties? Do you feel that the albums, the mouth albums are moving forward in time in terms of the samples? Cause, cause <laughs> moving backwards, moving back. Well, cause I'm still hearing like Alanis more sad and things like that. But to me, at least in the first third of the album, it felt a little less mid nineties and more early aughts. Me too. I, th- yeah. I had the same vibe from it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that happened a little bit and that's partially just because I kind of like used up all the nineties stuff. I, I was going to say, are you like, yeah, you're looking at the ice cream. <laughs> are you and looking- I'm just like, well, all I have left is new metal. So I guess I'll just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a reason you avoided new metal, I'm sure, for as it's, long as you have. It's funny, though. I don't know. It's, but uh, but uh, at the same time, I, I pushed myself to use more classical music on this album and more just like older standards that everybody knows through osmosis, um, uh, like, like, you know, Powerhouse, which was, you know, used in old Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah. Um, 
uh, just because that stuff is also a little more challenging to mash up with more modern things. Mm. Going back to getting the stems from the SpongeBob SquarePants opener, mm -hmm. um, with the mouth albums, I, I assume there are times you have to EQ and isolate things on your own. Correct? Does that happen Occ occasionally? Yeah. What would the what's the ratio of you having to do the work to take a song or a sound and isolate it versus finding the stems somehow? What, what would you say the ratio is? It's uh, it's pretty low. There are actually enough songs that have stems available. Yeah. A lot of them are, are from rock band. Others are just have, have been released as um, specifically to be remixed. Uh, yeah. um, that's a little more common with, um, with rap music. Uh, but uh, it's, it also exists for certain dance songs and stuff. You know, they'd release it on like the seven inch. Uh, they'd have just the vocal track, especially if it was a really good vocal performance and not Fred Durst, but um, <laughs> it's <laughs> cause he's there. He's but uh, what I, what I've done it to facilitate that part of the creative process, finding the vocals that I can use is there's like three big torrents of, um, uh, and they're not well seated. Sometimes it can take a while to like find the tracks, but I just like found these huge lists of acapellas and I, um, I did something to like copy the file list and I have a big text file. That's a combination of three different file, uh, like torrent file structures and if I'm interested in using a song, I'll look it up on this hacked together database that I have to see if it exists in an easy to find format. I only occasionally have had to try and isolate vocals or instrumentals myself. I think the um, Johnny Cash Hurt track on this album, if you listen to it, you can kind of tell that I just did some phase cancellation to get rid of the vocals. Well, that song, that song, you and I have talked about this recently. That song is infamously mix the, the manner in which it's mixed is a bit infamous like it's yeah. it's kind of a weird song so i was gonna Johnny, say yeah. if you found the individual stems you could no. do the world a favor and fix that song <laughs> the stems <laughs> don't exist for that song that's a song that i i did some audio engineering to try and fix but uh i that track ends halfway through because the end of johnny cash's hurt is so over compressed yeah. that there's no way to cleanly strip out the vocals from it. And if you're listening on headphones, some people posit it's supposed to sound distorted deliberately because he's doing a nine inch nails song. And the, I guess the logic is, Oh, just make it sound all messed up and distorted, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it works on that track though. Lovely song, but yeah, it's, it's a shame. Maybe one day they'll release a, a clean yeah. up version of it. That's so, a, that's a problem with a lot of modern music though. It's the loudness war. Yeah. Okay. So we've established so that torrent you were talking about. Is it of individual stems? Uh, yeah, the, you can find um, like the individual rock band uh, yeah. stuff that's been kind of pulled from that game. There's mm -hmm. others. It, it's like a real mixed bag. Some songs only have instrumental versions. Some songs have acapella tracks that are standalone. Others have like fold. You can hear different instruments. Yeah. Um, others are just like kind of chopped together. There's one. I, I've always wanted to use uh, Like a Prayer by Madonna, but the stems that exist for that song have her vocals mixed in with like some of the drums. So there's only so much you can do with it. That's like when you, sometimes if a movie score isn't released, um, mm -hmm. fans of a movie will get like the 5.1 DTS or Dolby yeah. mix and they'll go in and they'll take out the center channel because that's where dialogue usually rests in a mainstream movie mix and they'll do what they can to face cancel sound effects here and there, but it's always kind of, uh, distant sounding. Right. 
Uh, right. Do you find yourself ever sifting through stems that were created that way? Like, oh, this I actually, yeah. there's a unreleased track. Maybe I'll finish it up at some point, but I was trying to, uh, mess around with your body is a wonderland by John Mayer. Mm-hmm. And I did find a 5.1 mix of that song. So I was trying to take the vocals out using that method. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was mixed results. <laughs> <laughs> well, we shouldn't ask too much about the cutter room floor, but was there anything else for this album for mouth dreams that you had to leave behind for, I don't know. Oh te- yeah. Technical yeah, reasons yeah. There's definitely a, a handful of things. And, uh, this has happened on the last couple albums too, but I'll usually, uh, finish up stuff a little bit later or just release it as is on my, on my second YouTube channel or on my, um, YouTube music channel. And, uh, oftentimes I get comments saying like, why did you cut this out? This is good. And then I'll feel bad. <laughs> But this album is over an hour long, so just like, you know, <laughs> you a understand, while. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to suggest a while ago that you name one of your tracks, whatever the name of the song was, and then in parentheses, punk ska cover. <laughs> because that fits your motif so tightly, but it truly is a time capsule of 1998 to 2002. Like, it even, you know what I mean? Like, in uh, it, I do feel like your... Uh, style like I, I I did notice maybe maybe I didn't catch it but it doesn't seem like there's any Smash Mouth jokes on this. There's one towards the end. There is towards the end. Yeah, Smash Mouth kind of comes back in a nightmarish form. Just a wisp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is fair considering recent events with Smash Mouth. Jeez, I totally yeah. <laughs> I had that like uh, that anxiety where they kind of like they got a lot of uh, shit for doing a you know like a concert in in the pandemic, rightfully so, and um. They were, I mean, they were just one act in the festival, but they were, I guess, the most famous or the most fun to, to demonize for doing that. Well, they were literally calling out COVID, like basically like saying like, what, what did they say? Like, fuck COVID or something like that. Like, we're still going <laughs> to yeah. play something like that. They were asking for it and like a hundred sure. people got sick. Yeah. So, and I was in the middle of just kind of like wrapping up this album and <laughs> I already had just like, just that one little smash mouth thing in like the I think it's the second to last track or, or it's like toward okay. the end okay but then I realized like oh I I do make them sound pretty scary so I'll just <laughs> leave it in I don't feel bad it's appropriate Smash Mouth could have like a lot of performing artists released content to like you know get up and get out like you know we're gonna have some fun for the summer even if it's just our classic hits where no one got very very sick <laughs> it was very doable jeez ah, the bad idea <laughs> Uh, I also want to let you know, although it's never best practices to state one's uh, passwords in a public forum like a podcast, like the podcast I'm recording with my mouth right now, but it's only a matter of time before I use the, the password of uh, I'm stuck in baby prison. I can assure <laughs> you that's going to be a password of my- now. Now, getting back to that track and like Kevin, I don't want to like take away the magic of it. I don't want to spoil the good stuff. Obviously, as you described earlier, the audience should have hopefully heard the album before listening to this recording. Uh, I've now listened to it. It's not a competition, Kevin, but I've listened to it four times so far since you shared it through Google Drive. Thank you again. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have a lot to contribute because I wouldn't have heard it yet. Um, But in the four times, I've yet to, whether I'm driving or I'm working or I'm out walking, I've yet to pause. Uh, do, Do you have Johnny Cash say that he shits his pants? 
Yes. Okay, thank you. I'm not, I didn't, I've yet to, and all the time, there's some four times, and I could have at any point simply paused and rewound. Seconds, just seconds. The but, reason I did that, <laughs> uh, partially that is an in-joke I have with, with you guys, you and Kevin. That's true. Um, Tom Waits where, song. Yeah. Tom, yeah, we used to joke about uh, different musicians singing about shit in their pants and how they would sing that line. Huey Lewis killed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it was just like the structure of that Hooba Stank song. I couldn't really cut out like the it ends with like two rounds of the chorus. And I was just feeling like, OK, it's dragging a little. I need to like give you one more reason. You stuck it out through this song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just having the last line being Johnny Cash saying, I shit my pants <laughs> like in a, <laughs> in a very edited sound way. Yes. Please don't clean that up. Please, please allow, <laughs> let the mystery be, if you will, that even as a person who's listened to multiple times going, okay, if that's not what he that's, that's definitely what he said, right? No, no, no. He said, I love my wife. Like, no, he didn't. He said he shit his pants. <laughs> do you, do you frequently have to, <laughs> you probably have had to do this a number of times, Neil, where you have to make a swear happen through the yeah. syllables available to you. Yep. Yes. Do you that ever? happens at. Yeah. Another time, um, well, it's not a swear, but he, you know, he says the line, I, I hang my head in shame and shame. Oh, I hang my head and cry. Sorry. He, he, he says that a second time, but in order to make it rhyme, I had changed it to, I hang my head and pee. That involved taking him saying like B and like a, a P plosive sound and like kind of putting them together. And I mixed it as though he was like, he wasn't using a pop filter. What else you got, Ryan? Uh, number one, I always love to hear here in the greater New England area, the greater Boston area, a little bit of our classic WGBH soundbite. Mm-hmm. For those who aren't from the greater Boston area, it is the WGBH is our local. Uh, it's our PBS. There's different like stations in different cities, and I think WGBH is one of like the. It's, it's behind a lot of the more famous content. Bingo. Boston yeah. and Providence, Rhode Island. I, I don't think New York uses ours, but um, that soundbite, which is very recognizable to a certain number of folks, leads into the, yeah, THX 1138. Um, and for the fine young cannibals, she drives me crazy. There's some 80 synthwave instrumental that I don't recognize there. What, what, inc- what I guess the question being, what other tracks are incorporated around that? Uh, that track is uh, there. Are, there's original instruments. Okay, course, I thought so. Like as as it goes on, yeah. The the idea behind that track is it's the THX sound, but it just never ends. <laughs> and then um, each different uh, like passage of the song, I uh, I pitch the THX down so it's a different chord, and then it kind of resolves back up to the original chord at the end. But uh, like thrown in for flavor are a lot of different station and. Uh, VHS logo sounds. Mm. Yes. So there's the WGBH. There's just a bunch of various ones that I got from, from different compilations and uploaded by people who are into logos. Um, because a, the THX sound is, is creepy as a kid. I always found that, uh, she drives me crazy. Fine young cannibals to be a little bit creepy. Oh yeah. For whatever reason. And, um, there's an entire generation and community of people who rank logo, logos and logo sound effects on how creepy they are. And understandably, because a lot of 80s uh, logos used really distorted, uh, detuned sounding synthesizers. And 
I totally agree with that. It's always been really creepy when a show ends and they play a scary sound yeah. as a kid. Did uh, you must have yeah. used? I, I'm I'm trying to remember everything in that to, that mix you did. But did you use mm-hmm. the sound from A Current Affair, the Mori Povich show? Oh no, that's a that's a good one. Maybe I'll go in there. That's totally from that yeah, wheelhouse, right? Or like the MTV yeah. News. Yeah, um, yeah. I forget all the ones I I used. I think there's like a Viacom one. Some of them are more famous for being scary. Yeah. There's one I used. I forget the name of the company, but it's uh it's currently a um a piece of lost media. It's a logo that um, the that fans ha- have only been able to find half of, but they have um, the uh, they have the audio of the full sound. They just don't have the video. What's it from? So, I, I just uh, it's like the end of the Jeffersons or something like. But there was like a brief period where they used a certain logo and jingle, and they just there's like an ongoing search for a f- complete version of it, which I found really interesting. Huh. Um, so I, I pointedly used that uh, melody and I slowed it down. Um, just because I hope, I hope people like recognize that that's, that one's a deeper cut. I think it comes in the second chorus. It's like a kind of sound. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was, uh, that was like a, a fun, like subculture to kind of draw from for that track. Absolutely. I feel like we've dove down a few Asia, uh, 1980s visual effects demo reels before, mm-hmm. uh, where we've watched like, here's like this effects house that only did commercials. And yeah, it'll just be 20 minutes of this super surreal, wonderful aesthetic. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it kind of falls into that same wheelhouse um, where perhaps the sound effects are so creepy because they're designed purely to get your attention. All right. It was it. It did not go unnoticed that both singer songwriter Billy Joe of Green Day and singer songwriter Billy Joel are both featured on this album in very different capacities. It's funny because on this album, no, that's not intentional. Okay. I just happened to pick those two songs because they just worked. Um, but there is a, um, there's a cut track from the last album that is uh, uh, Good Riddance over um, Piano Man, which barely works. That's why I cut it. And, uh, but that was a deliberate Billy Joe plus Billy Joel mashup that okay. I just didn't end up okay. playing on the album. So uh, yeah, that's funny that, uh, but yeah, I, I went back to using both of them on this album because, uh, Billy Joe, Billy Joe's voice is funny when it, it doesn't, it doesn't go with anything else other than green day music. <laughs> it sounds bad, which is all to say. Um, and Billy Joel just, uh, makes pretty good instrumental tracks. I find. Uh, during, I did it all for the Nookie. I can't believe I'm opening a question like that, but I am like an adult during, I did it all for the Nookie. There's a one particular take of the word Nookie that sounds as though you've edited it to be a bit more like it's a me, a Mario. Uh, was that a, something from the song? I don't, cause I don't give a shit about Fred Durst, but <laughs> did you make that edit? Did you purposely make him sound yeah, like that's, Mario? Um, I think it's Mario Kart Wii. If you choose Tanuki Mario. Oh, ah, now Mario it all comes says, together. Tanuki. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Very good. You got it. Question answered. Uh, Kevin, you have a, uh, thank you for yeah going back and forth. You have a good final question there. Yeah. So Neil, you've, you've been doing mashup work for a long time and you know, just knowing you the way I do, I know mm-hmm. you're really good at dissecting the pieces that make up any given song. Since how long have you been doing the mashup albums? Well, like six, seven years longer. Twenty thirteen, uh, I think, is kind of. I mean, I've messed around with pop songs yeah. in some capacity, but twenty 
2013, I think, is when I started accumulating enough to make an album. Now, are you at a point where when you hear any pop song or any mainstream music that you can't help but deconstruct it in your head? Do you basically see the Matrix when, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, does your mind go into that toolbox mode? Um, sometimes, but not all the time, thankfully. I I think I have to be actively, um, like scouting. I have to be like telling myself like, Hey, just like turn on the radio and like, listen for, Oh, this is Lenny Kravitz track. You know, you could do this, that I have like a text file that, that I will occasionally open up on my phone and just like write down an idea based on something I heard on the radio. Can can I spoil one of those? (laughs) Yeah, go for it. There's a joke that you told me you were thinking about doing where, uh, Ryan, you know the song Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis in the news? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay, so you know how at one point in the song, like, Huey is clearly about to sing Kick It in the Ass? But before he says ass, like, they, it just goes, you just hear the drums get louder. Neil said he wanted, Neil had a note saying, I want to just have Huey actually say ass. Like, really (laughs) own him saying ass right there. Just... Just fix that part. Just like restore the ass. <laughs> I did. I actually did do that with the word ass on this album, uh, on a different track. Uh, the, the, the gorillas track, uh, where they say ass crack. <laughs> I feel like I, yeah. I had the radio edit for the vocal track on that song. So they don't say, they just say lining them up like cracks. So, so I you just manually put like, the ass back in. I manually put ass back in there. That's good. For I, the fans. I'm, gl- I'm glad that you are creatively able to apply a clutch and not always be in that mode because I, I find it very hard to watch a lot of mainstream movies and TV and not see right through it. It, it can actually discourage – It's it has discouraged me from engaging with a lot of contemporary uh, television in particular um, where I'll look at something and like, oh, I can see right through this. I see what it's trying to do to me. I guess it's more of just seeing – the emotional manipulation. Whereas what I'm, what I'm describing within you is more technical. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I get that as someone who can basically understand how pop songs are written, but it is usually more with, I have at least a little bit of reverence. Yeah. I don't know. I I have a pretty positive attitude to stuff that has managed to become popular. I can usually see why it is a success. Yeah. I've noticed you've brought in the talking heads a few times over the course of these four albums. And uh, yeah, they're just one of my favorite bands. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Like they're, they're they're, they're also, their music is uh, so uh, I guess the word syncopated or pronounced in a way that like, I'm sure your style of editing and isolating is like, makes it very easy to slip them in. Like not all. It's fun. and, yeah. and they have the added benefit of, in addition to being a good band, they're also an old band that young people know, and they, they come up in memes to some degree, and you can make a reference to the talking heads in a, you know, a, in a shit post of some sort, and people all ages will get it, because they're just a good, timeless band. Is there any song or joke you've cut purely because of lack of notoriety? Like, or, uh, or the whole, like, old man making a reference kids won't get anymore? Not really. It's just something I've kind of um, accepted, I guess. If, yeah. if people don't connect with it, then that's fine. I, it makes me laugh. The, the, um, yeah. The heart, I remember when we were doing computer fighters, really wanting to keep the Harlan Ellison joke. Uh, <laughs> it's a had, deep cut. It's we a real it. deep cut. Uh, but we cut it la- at the last minute. Uh, we, oh, uh, we the, do it. We, we reused it, right? Yeah. We in, used it in, um, beyond believability. Yeah. Yep. Cause I just wanted as many things as possible in that video. But the yeah. whole joke being that in computer fighters, which has a science fiction, title 
and has a science fiction opening title card. Uh, we want, I wanted five, 10 seconds into that video to have a credit that says with acknowledgements to Harlan Ellison. And, uh, you two guys made the point, like, this is like right out of the gate. It might slow down like the first scene. So maybe just either put it at the end or cut it. Uh, so we just, cut it's it. a joke for people who've read like the trivia page for Terminator in the last week. Basically. Yeah. Basically Harlan Ellison got into a lawsuit with James Cameron over the Terminator because James Cameron dared to discuss on camera in an interview that yes, like I am inspired by the works of Harlan Ellison. He was a great science fiction writer when I was younger and Ellison uh, took that as a means to sue Cameron <laughs> because he thought the Terminator had too many similarities to some of his other works. So the Terminator, the first one, has an acknowledgement to his works at the very end of it before the credits kick in. Um, so that was the joke. <laughs> and, but it was a bummer <laughs> no, for me because I understood why we had to catch uh, cut it from that video. No, I mean, a, a perfect example of that in Mouth Dreams is the track Ribs, mm-hmm. which is uh, called Ribs, and it's about baby back ribs. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Marilyn Manson shows up in it, and you have to be a certain age, I think, to know the reference there which is that Marilyn Manson had uh, his ribs removed. Yeah. Which is an urban legend. He didn't really do it. Um, but it's just like a gross joke that we remember from our childhoods when you know people would just make up shit about Marilyn Manson. It would be like if you had a song, if you were dissing with the hamster dance and then had a... Oh my goodness, the gentleman Richard Gere. And go, okay, yeah, you're like, yeah. it's a tasteless joke, okay, but you'd, yeah. you'd have to. I was really wondering where you're going with that. <laughs> you'd have to put A and B together to go. And it gets also uh, unfounded. Excuse me, it was but, a gerbil, not a hamster. Yeah, I know, but, but um, there's no gerbil song. <laughs> um, but I mean, I wouldn't have done that if the Marilyn Manson song didn't just happen to fit over like the <laughs> bouncing beat of, you know, I want my baby back and, you know, tears for fears and, uh, you know, whim away. So it. It it has to it has to work on two levels for me to make that kind of deep cut reference, I guess. You you don't pull exclusively music that was designed to be played on the radio. You tend to you do sample things like uh, bumpers from TV shows and uh, ad agencies and things like that. Baby back rib song from Chili's. Mm-hmm. Do you ever listen? Because you have to dissect these things, and you spend a lot of uninterrupted time. You know these songs better than their original composers. You know them better than the ad agency that came up with them in some ways. Do you ever listen to something like the Chili's song and wonder if the human beings responsible for it didn't realize what they were making when they made it? You know what I'm getting at? Like, oh, this is yeah. going to be way more. That song is surprisingly endearing to people considering how pointless it is. Yeah. You know what I'm getting it's, at? Um, yeah. I mean, part of it is just because I think because uh, uh, Fat Bastard singing it in Austin Powers 2, uh, I think, yeah, kind of gave it yeah. a second life. Yeah. Um, but I, I actually had to, like, you know, trying to dig up what's the highest quality version of that commercial I can find. Yeah. And I almost didn't find it. But I think um, the acapella group that actually sang on the, on the <laughs> commercial, like, uploaded a version of, like, them singing it more cleanly. And, um, jeez. And I mean, they sound pretty proud of it. I think there's maybe an interview or an article about them. So I always end up like learning way more than I, you know, I need to about like the, the creative decisions That's and creative like, people behind these yeah. pointless, you know, commercial uh, products. But um, it is, it is, it adds an element of endearing, you know, uh, appreciation for, for these memories, I guess. Yeah. Cause that's always to me been, part of the secret sauce to your mashup albums is that, yeah, I'm dumping on this and I'm making fun of it. But in order to do that, I have to clearly 
love them in some capacity. You have to know the Chili's song. <laughs> it has yeah. to still be in your brain. It doesn't feel like you're venting or angry or, or like, like, uh, like calling, calling something to task. <laughs> like no one was going to stand and die on a hill for the baby back ribs song. You know, <laughs> like you clearly, a part of you like is acknowledging, yeah, there's a sweetness to this song. <laughs> well, what happens in that track is halfway through Marilyn Manson sings about, you know, like capitalism has made it this way. And I almost felt like, Oh, that's like a very spicy line. And people are just going to assume that I'm just like really tearing chilies, a new one, like blaming yeah. chilies for fascism or something. <laughs> <laughs> the start of that song is literally just like a Marilyn Manson sucking his own dick joke. And I, I can't claim credit for any, uh, social commentary that, that, uh, that occurs. <laughs> well, I'm sure your fans are going to be really happy with it. I'm sure like, you're going to get plenty of questions and you know whatnot on Twitter. And I hope Ryan and I were able to uh, dig some gems out of you for people that want to know a bit about your creative process. Uh, oh yeah. Ryan, do you have anything else you wanted to hit on or before we go to our final section, I have a, uh, my last question, which should be pretty Neil for you pretty quick, 60 seconds sure. in and out. Okay. All right. You have a wonderful reworking of the Twilight Zone theme with the late, great Rod Serling, mm -hmm. a guy who's <laughs> passed away last year. <laughs> <laughs> a man who there's so many great audio recordings and his really distinct way of speaking lends itself to a really fun way to edit. But at the end, you have him say mouth dreams. Yeah. Now, I seriously doubt he ever actually said those words together in that order. But for the folks at home, for the Twilight Zone fans... Do you recall what episodes you got those words from? Uh, I, I don't, but I, I did literally have to, I took like the main, I think it's the most famous version of the intro, right? Yes. You know, a land of, you know, beyond this door, that version, they, they did several different versions of it. Uh, I went with that cause there's, it's the cleanest sounding out of all the, the recordings and it's a real mixed bag going episode to episode. Sometimes he'll be speaking, you know, in a room using like a microphone that's, you know, from this far away. Other episodes just are mixed differently. So despite all the material of him saying different things, I was only able to find him saying mouth cleanly enough. Man, I, I forget what I even used. I may have taken the M from something and taken him saying the South. I think it might have been something really? like that. Okay. Yeah. And then, so, so I was literally, I found like a wiki page that had all his monologues on one page and I would just control F and find him saying dreams in this episode. I'd load up the episode, see if it was clean enough and there wasn't any music behind it. And that's how I, I got him saying mouth dreams. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't do as much cross episode editing as I wanted to just because the fidelity is so different. Yeah. He, he never sounds as good as he does in that one main intro. So everything is him just repeating those same, like three lines over and over and dimension different. of doors. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> dimension of doors, a land of doors. <laughs> well, I'm pumped for, uh, everyone to get their ears on it. I think you've done it again. And yeah, I hope so. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, like is four around number. I don't know. Yeah. Like people like trilogies more, but I don't care. I just had to make more mashup albums for some reason. I need something to do these days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. We'll be right back. And when we come back from the break, we're going to be taking questions from patrons. Woo. All right. Questions from patrons. <laughs> Every episode of our show, we take questions exclusively over at guaranteedvideo.com. You can write in your questions and topics for discussion. 
right over there at guaranteedvideo.com. Uh, right off the bat, we had a few people write in this episode about brand new video game consoles. So I figured we'd try and consolidate a few of those questions because it's such a can of worms for me uh, to talk about anything video game related. Uh, but Ryan, do you want to? Um, I'll. All right. From Mr. Leonardo Gonzalez wrote, you guys see how big the PS5 and new Xbox are. Are they too big or not big enough? Uh, Neil, like literally the PlayStation 5 is 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's thank you. Yeah, it's big. <laughs> that not. I not, mean, yeah. I don't know. First of all, I like the conversational tone of this question. Hey, you guys see how big the? It's <laughs> <laughs> like a guy. That's like a guy at a gas station. Going, oh, man, you see how big yeah. that X. Xbox- We're talking about like it's a truck. <laughs> yeah, like that thinking, factors into the. You know, that's that. That's yeah. that's like video games have gone so far. We used to have Pac Man. Now look how big the Xbox is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. I mean, I have a PlayStation four. Yeah. You I had have a three. A, um, yeah. I have a switch. Yep. Um, I like that. The switch is very small. That's clearly what they're going for. Yeah. Not everyone has to go for that. That's fine. 10 pounds does seem pretty big though. But then again, they're competing with uh PCs. So, I mean, wh- wh- what can you do? Right. Well, basically the Xbox series X and series S, which is, that's the new, the new Xboxes. They're coming out in November. Um, one of them looks the, the S, which is the smaller one looks basically like a super Nintendo or like a smart speaker kind of thing. It's smaller, but it isn't really, it doesn't have a lot of the bells and whistles. It's, it's weird cause it's a new game console, but it's not more powerful than all of the prior generation consoles. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the bigger Xbox though, looks like a black PC tower. Like just straight up, like they they've they've posted videos yep. breaking down how it's built, and it's like, yep, that's a PC tower. Uh, and the PlayStation Five, um, the I think the reason it's so big, I, I think on they're on record their their systems architect Mark Cerny has uh, has said it's for heat dissipation. That was my big thing is regardless of aesthetics, it's going to be a black box as long as it doesn't overheat. Yeah, because you had things like the Xbox 360 notoriously overheating to uh, it became a billion dollar loss for Microsoft, the Xbox 360, because of the red ring of death. It's when the thermal paste or whatever on the Xbox 360 cooked itself. Light is green. Trap is clean. Light is red. You are dead. Yeah. The the uh, so uh, and we're going into it's been seven years since the PlayStation four and Xbox one hit. And my God, I know seven years. And now they're, and now they're graduating into these form factors that are predicated on not just SSD speeds, but incredibly fast, like nine gigabyte per second throughput. Like it's stupid fast. Uh, I, I, the Xbox series X and S use a proprietary NVMe storage solution that costs 220 dollars American for one terabyte because that's only five gigs per second. If my numbers are correct. But what I, the reason I think they're so, I think they're big for heat dissipation. I think they're big. So they don't have to put these crazy liquid cooling fan solutions in. Uh, they can use big heat sinks and they're always going to get smaller. You know, like you're going to get like two, three years in and they're going to go, here's the PlayStation five slim, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but if you want to get the new one day one, it's 400 bucks and it's kind of big, you know? I'm impressed how cheap they are, to be completely honest. I really thought that the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 are going to be like 600 bucks, and they're only uh, $399 for the PS4, $499 for the Xbox Series X, and $299 for the Xbox Series S. 
it's such weird branding. It's such a freaking yeah, mouthful. I know. <laughs> and they once again, ever since the Xbox One, let's call her third console Xbox One. Like just call it Xbox Blue, yeah. Xbox X, Xbox Dodge. Well, because it's like every other product when you do like different permutations, you have like the iPhone three, the iPhone five, the iPhone six, and then they do the S. Yep. You know, or the PlayStation four, then the PlayStation four Pro, right? It's just basic branding stuff. So the Xbox Dreamcast parentheses, fuck you. <laughs> the Xbox Dreamcast. Uh, Robert Peterson also wrote in saying, what are your thoughts on the new consoles? Are you excited for some of the new games teased? Um, uh, did did you check out Bug Snacks, Neil? After Bug I played, Snacks. After I played you the song? You showed me a little bit of it, yeah. Oh, you're, uh, not, oh, you're not feeling it? <laughs> I don't know. Not, I haven't thought about it since you you brought it up. I I, thought, I think Bug Snacks looks pretty great. Um, I think Spider Man Miles Morales looks pretty awesome. Uh, the Demon Souls remake looks great. Uh, what else? Oh, the new Sackboy game looks awesome. Uh, they have a day one. There's going to be a four player co op Little Big Planet game. That's like a, it's like 3D. It's got like an isometric view to it. I think that looks pretty cool. Uh, Resident Evil Eight has been shown on PS5 and Xbox. That looks pretty awesome. Um, I get, and also Robert Peterson's question here, it, I, I, it really predicates on, is it enough to get you to buy a new console yet when everybody I know who's PS4 is running fine, really the, good. There's so many games that came out this year. Yeah. There's so much software that's like, like I, I, I know COVID hit different companies differently. Uh, apparently Nintendo had a really hard time with COVID cause like they're even with the animal crossing at the initial run. Well, I mean, they've made money, but since Animal Crossing, like their big game for this quarter is that $60 Mario 3D collection where it's just, they just kind of rom dumped. They basically got three classic 3D Mario games up and running on Switch and did nothing to them. They cleaned nothing. They did nothing. They just got them running on an emulator. And when fans clean them up, they take them down. Yeah, it's weird. Mario 64 in particular, uh, it doesn't even run in widescreen on the Switch or at a higher frame rate. And it's double letterboxed because, Neil, you might find this interesting. We're all fans of Mario 64. Yeah. Um, Yeah. On the Nintendo 64, there was vertical letterboxing on the game that you didn't notice because of overscan on CRT televisions. Mm -hmm. But when you play it on the Switch, it's in four by three. So you have the left to right pillar boxing, right? And then vertically, you have a little bit of letterboxing because of that black space that was programmed into the original N64 game because Nintendo literally just had a company get the ROM up and running on uh, the switch. Um, and I just, I don't know, man, I just don't, (laughs) you guys have heard me rant about it. I'm like, why, why is this $60? (laughs) Like the PC, uh, source code port for Mario 64, uh, you, it's like a 24 megabyte executable. You open it up and it runs in whatever resolution your computer is running at in widescreen at like the highest frame rate possible. Uh, and I don't know. I just, I, I think they should have, Mario 64 is too important a game to, uh, do what they did to it. I think it's a kind of, oh, and also that game, have you both heard about the, the, uh, the, uh, forced obsolescence of it? The, sorry, the, the forced scarcity of it. It's going back in the vault. Disney's got their <laughs> own, just like, Di- sorry, Freudian slip, just like Disney, Nintendo has got themselves a vault. Have you heard about this, Neil? Uh, yeah. What the fuck? Like, like they, they're putting out this $60 game. It's out now. And they, they, they announced, Hey, we've done nothing to these games. <laughs> it's 60 bucks. Oh, and it's only going to be on shelves for a few months. And to add insult to injury, 
they're pulling it from their digital storefront too. So they're just, it's just basically there's a FOMO thing they're trying to do. And I just, I'm not crazy about that. And it's kind of, yeah. it's, you know what? You could almost make a documentary about this sort of thing. <laughs> you know what I'm getting at? I don't know. I like, do. No, I, it's like totally, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the subscription model that, you know, these companies want to push. Not all of them, I suppose, but I think it's probably their ideal is that people just keep coming back and paying over and over uh, their whole lives. Yeah. That, I mean, that's certainly what Microsoft is doing with Game Pass, and um, I think it's going to work out very well for them. People people will do that without being forced to do it. People yeah. will rebuy a new edition of a game. You can make money that way. You don't need to, to gate it off. Yeah. Uh, we got a question here from Cypher11. Ryan, I once saw an Evangelion poster in your wall in an old video. Did I say that right? Evangelion. Evangelion. Hard G. What is your favorite ending and who is the best girl? I don't know what any of this means. I, I was afraid of that. Thank you, Cypher11. Uh, good question. Uh, I think what he's really getting at, he's getting at a couple of things. Number one, a couple of years ago, some of the people who worked on the manga and some people who worked on the show did like uh, Evangelion 2.0 where they added some new characters, they changed some of the plot line, they just made it, hey, do you know that story like? Well, here it is again, but everything's a little different. Hmm. To put it into a better context, a, a more a broader audience, it would be, here's Pokemon 2.0, and now Jesse and James are just their friends, they're not trying to steal Pikachu. Gotcha. They're just part of the game, like little things like that to go, yeah, that changes a big dynamic, but not enough to make me not watch the show. Uh, or we'll add a new character. He likes to skateboard and, you know, yeah. uh, my favorite ending again, I, I never really got into the 2.0 and I, I do not, I do not like the, the re the cut or the change in subtitles or the drastic change in dubbing when it finally came to Netflix. Uh, I have the old, old DVDs that are like 10, 12 years old now older than that, uh, with a very different, very different subtitles, very different translation from the Japanese and very different, uh, deliveries of the lines. So they, they, that's, so do you know if Netflix produced those or if they yes. were just new? Okay. It was their conscious decision. And for a, a really diehard fan base, people, people hated it. I wasn't, <laughs> a, it was a vast majority of like, you have a really small niche of people who would like this, uh, this cult thing and you just pissed it down your leg. I mean, nobody went like, Oh, this is better. This, or you really cleaned up the animation. No, no, they, they just, they just really screwed it up. Yeah. Uh, it's weird to just rate. Well, they're not real people. So yeah. Who's the best girl. He's probably asking between Ray and Asuka, the two teenage girls that Shinji's with, they fly robots just like him. There's three <laughs> robot pilots. There's other robot pilots, but most of the show is those three. There's the manic pixie dream girl who he, uh, Shinji moves past because, which is good because there's nothing there. She's a clone of his dead mother. So, you know, don't fuck her. Don't fuck your dead mother. And Asuka, who has serious personality disorders that they do actually a really good job of addressing. And the two of them, they're love, hate, violent, their very unhealthy relationship goes nowhere. My money's on Masato. When Shinji first starts the show, he lives with Masato. She's sort of his ward, or he's her ward. She's an adult. She's an adult. She has her own issues, but she's a complicated, nuanced character, unlike these other two, like, one-dimensional anime, or Ray's one-dimensional, but Asuka's not. Uh, of, of all the, of the, of the girls in this, I'm going to pick someone who is a woman, an adult woman who also shouldn't be fucking a teenage boy. 
because that's inappropriate. And in the end, spoiler alert, it's been a few decades, when, As- when, when Masato kisses Shinji, it's not cute and it's not sexy, it's creepy. It's real, And also because she's just been shot and there's blood in her mouth and Shinji has to wipe the blood out of his mouth and it's a nightmare. So, yeah. Neil, have you ever watched Evangelion? Yeah, yep, Harji, you got it. Uh, not really, and I, I'm not going to start now. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like my thing, really. I I want to say... I mean, I've, I've only watched... I've watched very few... I haven't watched a lot of anime. Um, I think I'm going to watch Cowboy Bebop soon. It's good. It holds uh, oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been meaning to watch Cowboy Bebop. I think the closest... My closest parallel to that... Um, Full Metal Alchemist? I've watched a little bit of that. Uh, I honestly, you know, what I've been, I kind of want to watch is the Persona Four anime. Uh, I don't know if either of you've ever heard of the Persona games. No, they're sure. really cool. They're JRPGs that take place in school predominantly. Um, I really like Persona Four, and I heard decent things about the anime. But uh, I don't know. I assume Crunchyroll has it. I'll, I'll look into that. Um, We're gonna cast Scarlett Johansson to be it. I don't know enough about this to know if that joke even lands. But yeah. whatever. <laughs> uh, Neil Pogi Joe asks. Pokey Joe. Do you have a favorite or nostalgic scent? Mm, uh, I don't know if I have a favorite scent. Um, there's a certain like artificial strawberry smell that every once in a while I'll catch a whiff of and it will take me back to like second grade. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why, but it's like a very like I associate it with being in school kind of smell. It may have just been like some product that like kids were using. Um yeah. That always happens. I don't know if that happens to you guys, but when you get like that kind of like scent deja vu, oh yeah. It's really it's hard to pin it down like it's what the, exactly it's the, you're remembering. It's the um it's the uh sense that is most closely tied to memory. I think that's mm-hmm. been proven chemically yep. that uh it, it, olfactory system. Yeah. It is funny for your nose. Yeah. <laughs> it is, but I totally have like um familiar sense that I just like I'm racking my brain trying to figure out what exactly it is yeah. and I'll never quite turn up the answer. I don't know if you have that experience. I my f- most nostalgic scent is probably being in a barn. Um my uh, mm. my mother's cousin and my aunt uh both have little horse farms like where they would like take care of horses and little steads or whatever you call them. And uh, just the smell of like moving hay around and stuff like that, like is very distinctly in my, uh, my that's a whole combination of smells too. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. uh, There's a, there's a, the way at least, at least here in new England, our basements have a certain smell. I don't know if it's true around the world. Um, cause I have, I don't usually go in people's basements when I'm traveling, but, um, I do Neil. Yeah. I (laughs) am. Mr. Basement. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, I really can't compare, but I will just say like, yeah, the smell of a basement of like kind of a musty, um, maybe antique basement is a favorite smell of mine. I love it. Yeah. All right. Next question here oh, is, I, yep. I have to say, oh, I want to oh, yeah. say mine. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cordage Park in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I could oh, be a hundred year old rope. I could be pissing myself 104 years old, blind as a bat and dying of Alzheimer's. And somebody puts something I'm like, Oh, that's, that's Cordish park in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Mm. Yep. I will never ever disassociate that smell from exactly what it is. And I just one whiff of it and it unravels a, a litany of memory. <laughs> You're making me want to go to Cordage park today. Now. <laughs> Jeez. I forgot. Now, yeah. Ryan, what's, where does it take you back? Does it take you back to back to working at Plymouth Rock studios or oh, that's earlier one, when it takes, was a mall? Uh, to being a mall, to, uh, my brother trying to get my uncle Kevin arrested to, <laughs> because my uncle Kevin was babysitting us and Sean, Ooh, that sneaky motherfucker. It would know 
One of those things you can say, that one of those powerful statements for a very not powerful tiny little boy, you're not my father. Mm. And a whole lot of people saw it too. And thank God I was just chilling or uh, this little boy struggling from a grown man. And he said, help, help. You know, you're not my father. Uh, it brings me back to- How old was your brother when he did this? Five, six. Oh, he was smart geez. enough to know exactly how powerful those words were. Yeah. Big Bird taught him to say it. The Ninja yeah. Turtles taught him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it brings me back to working there. It brings me back to the Black Raspberry. Uh, it brings me back to the unemployment office shortly after Plymouth Rock Studios. Oh, the irony. They're in the same building. <laughs> what about... <laughs> that's, yeah, actually, you know what? I never thought of that when we got let go from Plymouth Rock Studios. The, job I, think we all I probably spent the most... Before Plymouth Rock Studios, uh, it was the um, the thrift store there. Um, oh, yeah. The Thrifty, Thrifty Pilgrim. Pilgrim. And there was a karate studio there that I knew people who did karate I went, lessons. I took karate there. Um, I, I did too, actually. I, yeah. I'll always think of Cordage Park for the pet store. Yeah. Yeah. Next question's from Mark Hughes. This one's specifically for you, Neil. Mm-hmm. Neil, is there going to be a follow-up to one, two, three, four, five, six Pokemon? Because I feel like the presence of that video really helped turn the tide for the 2008 presidential election. I picked this question on Patreon because Neil and I had an argument like a decade ago maybe longer where, uh, yeah. Neil did a song called one, two, three, four, five, six Pokemon. And one of the lyrics in the song is you say, who are you going to vote for? Barack Obama. And there's like a, like a chorus of people that say Barack Obama. And you, you were talking to me once about how, uh, Neil, how you were annoyed that people on the internet were claiming you were getting political. <laughs> and I was like, for fuck's sake, it's an election year. And you literally have him. You literally sing who you're going to vote for Barack Obama. Now to be transparent, I loved, lo- I was proud to vote for Barack Obama. I was a proponent of him back then. This is not me saying like, Oh, don't be political. But I just thought you were being a bit difficult by saying, how can they accuse me of being political? And you're being completely it's, serious. <laughs> it's not that I, I, I understand <laughs> that, but I, I, my frustration was that, the that line in the video was just one of several non sequiturs. I was the the idea behind the video was like I'm just gonna make a silly song with a bunch of phrases, yeah, uh, that have nothing to do with one another. And I just like was trying to think of stuff that like had a certain flow to it. And who are you gonna vote for? Barack Obama just happened to fit. And <laughs> <laughs> I N- Neil, I understand Come your on. perspective of absurdism. Of that there's no greater value to, by the way, that was Miles the dog. Yeah. There is no greater value to Don't Worry Bill Murray or, no, yeah, Pokemon, things that are catchy and part of the zeitgeist and popular culture. Uh, but it's not like you rhymed Barack Obama with <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Well, it doesn't matter. Was I? I was like, look, I was a young man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just don't think I can make a video like that and get away with it again. Like... Yeah, the world like, has gotten more serious. The consequences of this election are the, – the world has gotten more dire than it was in 2008 when it was between McCain and uh, and uh, Barack Obama. Right. My memory of it was like, well, of course he's going to win this year. Let's just be silly. And you just can't do that now. Just um, a couple afternoons of just like, I got to make a video, but I don't know what to do. Um, let's go through the closet. You know, yeah. here's a hat. Here's a beard. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Teleport to the left. Uh, okay. Last question. Ryan, you want to get this one? Yep. From Caleb Zane Kelly. Caleb wrote with the oncoming surge of extended director's cuts that have been recently announced. Are there any alternate or original versions of films you'd all like to see? 
Have you heard, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but Rocky four is going to get some sort of Stallone cut soon. No, I didn't know that. Have you heard about this, Neil? No. Stallone's doing some sort oh, well, of, I did. Yes. He, uh, he's taking the robot out. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, like he told, if that's a really bad sign, cause Rocky four is not exactly Hamlet, <laughs> but Rocky four's charm is that it's got stuff like that robot in it. Do you like, think he's trying to just retcon for, so it, it's more smooth with things like Creed and you know Creed Two? I I I don't know that movie. I hope not. That movie is very lean in terms of original content. There's like four or five music video segments in it, and a lot. It's got the most footage from other Rocky movies. It's got the highest ratio of recycled stuff, right? Um, and maybe that's what he's trying to fix. But that movie just stylistically does it's it's wonderful. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's I mean, Neil, we've watched it once together or twice? Uh at least twice. I mean, yeah, that's the ultimate it is what it is movie. You you really don't want to take it out of the 80s. You don't want to take it out of that moment in history at all. You need to watch it in context and understand uh th- you know, it's it's like the middle of like the Reagan era, you know, and it's it's like what if Rocky made propaganda? It's like yeah, it's it's the silliest. It's super <laughs> entertaining. It's super entertaining, and I just don't think that any. I don't know. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I just don't what it's what it's great at. I just don't know if it can be intentionally done. I haven't heard anything about this until this uh, discussion today. Yeah. I, I'd much rather see a documentary about the context of Rocky four. And these are the headlines a year before about the Soviet union. This yeah. is what the average American thought. I'd rather see like news stories yeah. about like, Hey, knowing the Soviet union collapsed, what three months after it this, was like right around that yeah. meant that it also meant that the Soviets weren't being addressed as the same type of threat. It's, it's, it's even more campy than when James Bond is, you know, we, we don't really think they're gonna, you know, th- this isn't serious at the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. This isn't serious like Chernobyl. This is lighthearted stuff of like, yeah, these, nobody really thinks that they're gonna like show up on the shores of Martha's Vineyard and start shooting. It's not gonna happen. What other director's cuts are coming out? There's The Godfather 3. Oh, I didn't know that. Did you guys hear about this? They're gonna put out an updated cut of The Godfather 3. Oh, I don't know. With new footage or I, I assume huh. so, yeah. The they they're gonna change some stuff. I haven't read up a ton of but I know that's coming. I know, I mean obviously there's that Snyder cut thing. That's probably what he's alluding to. My God, the budget. Oh my god. I sent this to me. So, it, it, yeah, it's this so, is like so a few hard. months ago yeah. we were talking about that, me me and you, Kevin. And I made the point that like, oh, well, you know, there's a pandemic going on. They can't make films traditionally right now. Yeah. So it actually makes sense that they're gonna try and just like Edit this cobble, together. Cobble, yeah, cobble something together and like make some money without uh, having to, you know, put a real production together. And they're then they announced they were doing reshoots, which like, okay, yeah. well, maybe they have like a little bit. Da, da, da. They can test and quarantine and be safe. Ryan, do you know what the budget is? I do not. So the, it's $70 million. They're going to spend $70 million to make this. But the whole story is that they filmed the Zack Snyder movie, then reshot a bunch of it to make the Whedon cut of justice league. So I I saw Jordan, our friend Jordan Gibson retweet something uh, to this effect that if you're going by like, uh, I guess you'd call it auteur theory or the lens of which this movie is going to be edited and directed in 2020 and 2021, this four part justice league miniseries, it is no longer Zack Snyder's justice league. It is now Zack Snyder 
looking at the success of Aquaman and Wonder Woman and Shazam and all this stuff and all, and him, he clearly, he clearly has a chip on his shoulder about the world and how it responds to the way he makes movies. Like I sent you Neil that thing where he flat out told the movie critic that his cuts for grownups. You saw that mm-hmm. he, Zack Snyder literally said this movie's going to be for grownups. And it's like, dude, you're first of all, <laughs> no, it's not <laughs> grown up. I mean, adult, adults don't say grownups. <laughs> yeah. Zach. Yeah. Valid, yeah. The Rugrats say grownups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I well, don't I, sound like one I, when I, I say that. I, I feel like I haven't fit. I don't know if I finished my point. My point just basically being, it's not like it's being pulled out of a vault and shown to us. It's going to be reshot and retooled. I kind of like, um, justice league, the original cut, because it's, it, it has that vibe of it's just resigned to how bad it is. Yeah. It's like everyone kind of knows. And that's actually a little more entertaining uh, than watching a movie where the actors and the writers don't know it's bad. Well, it's well, because the thing, about not, ju- not in like a, a winking way, but just like a look. Yeah. It's not going to be, it's not going to be the dark night. All right. Like, let's just get through this. I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like there's a resignation with justice league. Like, look, Batman shouldn't be fighting aliens. <laughs> But guess what? <laughs> Batman's fighting aliens. Well, I, I don't know. There's something funny about that movie. Just how uh, Superman's Bat- bad. <laughs> well, <laughs> he is. But I mean, the fact that Batman's motivation is I don't want to be in is basically I don't want to be in this movie. Can we get Superman back? Yeah. Like it's it comes as close to him saying that as as a fictional character can say. He He basically just like is uncomfortable being the leader. And yeah, it informs his acting in the movie in a way that I found more entertaining than I was expecting. Well, it's just, it's just so like, I mean, to, to actually get back to the director's cut, uh, question. Um, I think I, I have a, definitely have a morbid curiosity about the justice league thing. I'm definitely going to watch it. Are there any director's cuts that you actually stand by? I like the extended cut of Terminator two a bit more than the theatrical. Um, that's not to say the original cut of Terminator two is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with, um, uh, the, uh, aliens. The yeah. cut of aliens is great. Yeah. Um, but I don't even know some of these movies, I, 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 I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the intent behind them because I, I, I get, I can hear James Cameron going, well, no, no, no. The theatrical cut of aliens is the real cut. This is just an extended cut. He might, I don't know if it's aliens is even referred to as a director's cut. So I have to think about it. What about you guys? Do you have like an alternate cut or an extended cut that you prefer? Uh, I mean, like, you know, there's like the Brazil situation. Uh, I was, where that was the next to say Brazil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's definitely better. Where the studios cut literally, it's like they're trying to sabotage. It's like they want the movie to gone. They don't even want to release it and like have it not make money. They literally want the movie to like be destroyed. Right. But like in the more typical situations where it is just kind of like, well, it's yeah, there's some compromises here. But this is ultimately this is the version of the movie that people saw in theaters. This is the theater experience that made this movie famous and successful. Yeah. Uh, I kind of always prefer to go back to that, especially for older films rather than kind of the revisionist history of that director's cuts can be. Brazil's a weird example though, because yeah, that's, that's like a, it's extreme example. The American cut or something. I think it is the American cuts. The really shitty one. I like the Donner cut of Superman two more because it has some of the great, some better stuff with Brando in particular. Blade Runner, I've lost count of how many cuts there are. Yeah. 
I'm looking through a list right now of like most popular uh, extended cuts. I didn't know Blood Simple had an extended cut. Ooh, have you seen Blood Simple? Right? Yeah, that movie is really good. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I don't think I've no, I have not seen it yet. It's the I first will. Coen Brothers movie, and actually, um, no, I definitely haven't done. Recently, I was reading up on Bill and Ted too. And apparently Bill and Ted too, they cut out a whole chase sequence where when they get out of hell, uh, they get into a car chase with a bunch of things that followed them from hell and they filmed like s- grandma and the rabbit and the yeah, general. Huh, exactly. Right. Yeah. That you can find set photos, but I don't think they even actually filmed the car chase. They filmed like everything, but the actual cars chasing each other, like the close-ups of them in their cars and everything. You can find photographs, but for some reason on during the production, someone said, you know what? It's a sunken cost. We got to like, just not finish this scene. It's too much money. Uh, we just got to oh, get, yeah. we got to get the characters to the concert at the end as quickly as possible. By the way, Bill and Ted three was okay. Yeah. It, it just kind of, I'll never watch it again. <laughs> and I the, am totally with you. <laughs> I was the, like, I enjoyed it enough while watching it. I like seeing those guys do their thing. Evil Bill and Ted in the future were the best parts to me. They're good. I love uh, old man makeup, Bill and Ted. Actually, that was one of the things that I tried to hint at before when, um, I was like trying to lightly recommend the movie to you. Yeah. (laughs) Was that, uh, Kevin Yeager does the special effects. So like when they meet themselves as old men, uh, it's a little bit better looking than you're expecting. Yeah. Especially, uh, for, uh, Alex winter, Alex winter was hilarious. And that scene is old, uh, Bill, right? He's Bill, right? Yeah, I know it's terrible that sometimes you have to... <laughs> have you seen that interview where the guy talking to Keanu Reeves gets his character name wrong? No. no. <laughs> he asks like this long question going like, hey, so you've been playing Bill for decades. And you're going to come back. Is it hard to get back in that mindset? And then Keanu just goes, I'm Ted. <laughs> and the guy interviewing him just gets up and walks off camera because he's lost <laughs> all credibility. <laughs> like all his cool uh. points are gone. <laughs> It's really funny. Like Keanu's not being mean. It was just really funny to see. I'm Ted. (laughs) Um, Well, I guess that route wraps it up for this episode of guaranteed audio. Number 18. Crazy, huh? Uh, So yeah, Neil, you think the album will be out in time? Like you think this will come out? It better be. Yeah. (laughs) But there's, but there's no way this podcast hits before the album, right? Well, consider I'm, I'm, I'm editing this podcast. Yeah. And yeah. Oh yeah. The album will be available on uh, my website, neilcic.com slash. I wasn't done. <laughs> neilcic.com slash mouth dreams. Or you can just Google it. Very good. All right. It'll be real great. I only have six sound effects and I'm trying to make them work to our advantage. And I don't think I'm Can succeeding. you play it like twice? Like an echo? It'll be real great. All right, we're running out of steam. We have no segue. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in the future with a new short film. Check out Mouth Dreams and um, Pleasant Dreams. Hey, you always say that, Neil. That's kind of funny. I do? Yeah, you you ended like the first two or three episodes of this podcast by saying Pleasant Dreams, and now you have an album called Mouth Dreams. I, I really like dreams. Sweet dreams, folks.